0: and we are recording with uh mr brandon weikert and uh we did agree that it is the end times and uh why criticize the government for looting the treasury when you could just grab a duffel bag and go get yours i don't know maybe there's some sort of universal morality or ethics that that i stand on i don't know you know more and yeah. more i i look at channels on youtube that aren't standing up for the first amendment instead they're just covering the kardashians and tiktok and they're making 8 million a year and i'm like I know. What, what what am i what am right. i fighting for right. Why, how come i don't have a bugatti right. and that's uh,
1: right
0: with that a black pilled nihilistic uh, <laughs> approach to today mr Weikert, please introduce yourself yeah. and tell them about shadow war
1: well, uh, my name is Brandon Weikert. I'm a national security policy and geopolitical policy analyst. Uh, I've written Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and my second book, "Shadow: The Shadow War, a Ron's Quest for Supremacy, is coming out soon, spring. We decided to kick it back for various reasons. It's supposed to come out this fall. Um, but um, the book basically is my take on why Iran is probably our single greatest near-term threat uh, over the next three to five years. And you're already seeing that with these protests and and how Iran is supplying endless amounts, it seems, of drones to the Russians for them to annihilate the Ukrainian infrastructure Um, total destabilization going on in both the Middle East and now Europe because of Iran in part. Um, And so the whole book details that the real threat and how we should want to get out of the Middle East, but there's a way to do it. And the way not to do it is the Biden approach, which is to hand off uh, the Middle East to a nuclear arming Iran and to basically distance ourselves from the Saudis and Israelis who are traditional, although imperfect allies. And so the book is sort of talking about the threat and what not to do and what we should do, which is basically what the Trump administration was doing with the Abraham Accords.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think well said imperfect, but our existing allies and that, that is the world you don't have to like, right. It was, it was rainy and foggy on D-Day. And then they just finally decided they're like, fuck it, go. Right. This is it. At a certain point it's, it's moved forward. And no, are they perfect? No. And I'm sure they look at us and they're like Americans for all of their flaws are our ally. It's just what right. it is. But right. it's, there's also something to be said for like the devil, you know, maybe, you know, somebody's flaws. At least, you know, them. right. Why are we right. getting in bed with someone who has traditionally never been our ally who right. has has directly affected? Yeah, you you, you discussed uh, how they had more of an effect on Jimmy Carter's presidency than anything else. And right. we are just and despite them talking about Jews as as termites and bugs that need to be extinguished and being held right. on on fulfilling some sort of uh, megalomaniacal messianic theocratic prophecy, mm-hmm. we're somehow going, you know what the answer to that is in your rich geranium. It's a right. weird calculus exactly. that I don't think balances. Yeah. Out.
1: No, and as I talk about it, and I know that you've read, I've given you the the, the electronic version of it. Um, as I talk about in the book, there is this sort of naive, um, almost it's almost like, and we know the Democrats generally more than Republicans. The Democrats really are creatures of the faculty, and so it really is like a group of international relations professors got together. In a you know, seminar and was like, here is how we're here's a theory we're gonna use to deal with Iran without any real understanding of the real world implications of that theory, because on paper it's a very academic policy, which is basically the Democrats assume that the Islamists who rule Iran since 1979, somehow, because they're the religious order, they represent a majority opinion of Iran. And therefore, they are more legitimate uh, as a as a government than what came before, which was the, the autocratic U.S.-backed Shah, uh, the king, basically. Um, and the assumption is that, well, as long as we let them be a normal country with integration into the international trading system and that they can have nukes like any other normal country can if they want to. Um, then then ultimately the sort of crazy brazenness that they've been behaving with it will over time dissipate because they will feel like they are truly respected and that they are integrated and they are they are actually equals with the Americans and the other countries that that we do business with. And on paper, it's and then and also that they will balance with the Saudis and will balance with the Israelis and that that sort of balance will create some kind of stability that won't require U.S. troops policing uh, Middle Eastern cities. And and of course, in reality, that's that's a horrible plan it it it, it it's it's insane it, it reminds me of these people who really thought that you could have real peace with the Soviet Union and were willing to give away pretty much any semblance of American superiority over the Soviets in order to get that piece of paper signed. It sounds great in theory, but it is not the way the world works and I I you know, I don't like talking about everything being like Munich or everything being like world war two. I think that's a very boomer thing, but really in Iran, you have a very, very ideological, um, anti American, but, but really anti-Semitic regime with the sort of revolutionary guards Corps, who, who's a lot like the, um, the SS and sort of this, this very, um, it's a militant, nationalistic, socialistic uh, ideology that's fused with Islam, a uh, Shiite Islam. And so you really do have a lot of similarities between Nazi Germany in nineteen thirty nine and Iran presently. Um, and we are making under Biden, and really every Democrat since Carter has made this this dangerous, almost uh, Neville Chamberlain-like assumption that, well, if we just treat the Islamists of Iran like they're rational actors, they will, in fact, become rational actors. And that's simply not the way the world works.
0: Yeah, there's something about the, uh, that, uh, that PR professional kind of thing in a conference. And it's like, you can have those discussions when you're dealing with like-minded people. When you're dealing right. with other people who also grew up in America suburbia, right. and also watched baseball, and not not even in terms of like cultural homo- uh, homogeneity, homogeneity, but also civil, and right. and and maybe and maybe not for the best, but myself included, sheltered from from violence, it's yeah. I like. I couldn't possibly try to like explain my rationale for like how I talk to people. I disagree with to like my buddy, Dale, who was in Delta force. Dale's mm-hmm. used to just shooting them. And I'm right. more about have them on the pot and vice versa. Dale might right. go. I would never bring Tommy on a mission. He'll get us all killed. And if I start <laughs> going on missions with Dale, I might come back to this podcast And I might be a different person. Might go, fuck that guy, kill him. He's 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 extra baggage. I don't know. And maybe if Dale did a podcast nonstop for three years, he might go, you know, other people do have valid. Like, I don't know that. But for the most part, a rational mind can conclude like we can all come up with these theorems on how things would exist when we're all tenured professors who live in a cushy apartment in a safe neighborhood. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, at the same time, two Afghani warlords probably don't look at each other as warlords. They probably just look at each other as neighbors because it's like they, too, are used to slaughtering the infidels. Right. The problem is, is when you try to translate the two. And that is a brutal part of you can extend the olive branch and hope that they, too, want to act like the tenured Harvard professor. But be willing to send in Dale when they inevitably don't.
1: Right. Right. And something to consider as well, and I talk about this in the book, in one of the later chapters, when I'm sort of going through the kind of the key players of the original Iranian revolution in 79, there was the case of one of the Grand Ayatollah's top advisors, who actually was from Texas, he was a, a Iranian American born in Iran, but he fled the Shah, uh, and, uh, and now I'm forgetting his name, um, but I, I Detail how he was a top advisor to the Shah. And uh one of his biggest reasons for being in the position, I think he was number three or number four in the regime when it first started. One of the reasons the Ayatollah used him is because this guy believed as the Ayatollah did, which meant he was bloodthirsty, highly anti-Semitic. And yet he was a Western medically medical doctor who lived and grew up in Texas so he could speak to the Americans in a way the Americans would understand, although he, of course, was representing the interests and the ideas of the Islamists. And so during the early days of the regime, the the Ayatollah and his ministers were very adept at playing the Carter administration, convincing them that, oh, well, we're we're just reformers. We just want to have freedom and peace as They were preparing this massive purge of anyone who was affiliated with the previous regime, of anyone who was not a Shiite Muslim, uh, particularly the small Jewish community in Iran. Um, I talk about how there was this guy Al-Khanian. Who was a Persian Jew? He was very wealthy, very powerful, very pro-Iran. And he, his whole family for generations, lived in the you know, the, under the Shah's rule of Iran. And when the Ayatollahs took over, he just assumed, well, the Ayatollahs were saying we're just going to make it freer and more open. And so I'll stay with my family. And he was one of the first ones who was arrested. And the reason he was arrested by the the Ayatollahs men is not only because he was Jewish, but because he was a rich Jew. And that made him Hmm. suspicious, and and that is a pattern, by the way. We saw play out not only in Nazi Germany, which is, of course, why I brought it up earlier in the conversation, because this was a they wanted to make an example out of him to send a message, as the Ayatollah said, to the Zionists of Israel and of the West that the the Ayatollahs are onto them. This is Hitlerian type talk. We also saw this play out, by the way, in Russia during the Soviet Union. People seem to forget. That the Soviets were just as vicious to the almost as vicious to Jews uh, as the Nazis were, uh, and as the Iranian regime is, and so there is this sort of underlying notion of both playing America and the West, uh, and and manipulating uh, Americans who may see people like that doctor and say well he lived in america well he he's a medical doctor he went to NYU he he's he's brilliant and and he's one of us he just happens to be an Iranian who's loyal to this old friendly kind of shamanic figure that was the Grand Ayatollah and and they were able to play us in fact i talk about earlier in the book when he was in exile the grand ayatollah when he saw the revolution happening because the revolution was really instigated by Marxists, people forget this, it began with the Fedayeen uh, Ikalk, uh the Marxist guerrillas who were working for the Soviet Union uh, to overthrow the Shah, but it turned out the Marxists were nowhere near as, as popular as the Islamists were. And watching this from afar, the Ayatollah and his people living in exile in Paris thought this is an opportunity. If I can just get the Americans to second guess their commitment to the Shah to let me fly in to the capital of Tehran, then I can take over. And so for months before he went to um, Iran, the Grand Ayatollah was sending these flowery love letters to Jimmy Carter and the White House and basically saying, don't worry, I will represent your interests. We have a shared enemy in the Soviet Union. I will be and and Margaret Thatcher as well, by the way, at the time, believed that because of the experience in Afghanistan, where the West was funding the Mujahideen against the Soviets, she believed the Islamists would actually be a better partner for the West in fighting uh, the Soviets. And so the Brits also began to switch very early on to supporting the Ayatollah. And then Carter got uh, the Shah's generals to basically stand down. They were initially waiting to arrest him at the airport. And then, and we talked about this before, but just to remind your audience, um, there was a guy named General Robert Heiser, who was the NATO commander, who was forced, did not want to go, who was forced to go by the Carter administration to Tehran in the pr- pr- run up to the Ayatollah's return and basically smooth things over with the Shah's generals saying, don't worry, this guy, he's going to be like the Shah. He's going to be a friend. He's not going to kill all you guys because you're loyal to the King. And of course it turned out that the Shah's generals were right and they were either exiled or, or massacred on masse and the death toll of the early days of the regime, notwithstanding the war in Iraq. Um, the Iran-Iraq war, before that, even in the early months, the, the blood lust that the Ayatollah himself engaged in, 12-year-old, nine-year-old girls who looked at the Iranian revolutionary guardsmen funny on the street were mutilated in the streets and their bodies were left for, as a warning. And I talk about that, the nine-year-old girl who was, was a, I think, a 106-year-old man who was one of the greatest poets of Persia at the time. He was um, a, a Sufi. Muslim, And so they murdered him simply because he was a Sufi Muslim. And so you look at the bloodlust that that was engaged in this sort of blood orgy. Um, and you just have to say to yourself, this is not a regime that we can do business with, especially because the guy running the regime now was handpicked by the Grand Ayatollah, was a student of his.
0: And not only that, even when uh, who was it? Was it Khomeini or who was it that was when they were in the United States seeking medical uh, care? And it's like, we'd rather them not get medical care in, in New York. Right. And I was like, why? So was it was, like, that's the center of Zionism. And it's like, oh, yes, for fucks sake.
1: Yes, right. So <laughs> that was the Shah. Okay. After the Shah had fled, um, Kissinger was outside of government as a consultant at this time during the Carter administration, but he had deep ties. He knew uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, the National Security Advisor. He was connected and basically... Kissinger was acting on behalf of the Shah, trying to rally support in Washington, D.C. to say, hey, it's a bad signal to our allies that when the going gets tough, America abandons you. And furthermore, they're not just abandon you, but if you need medical help, that can only be gotten in a Western country. The Americans will act like you don't even exist. It's a bad look. Don't do this. And so Kissinger, it is believed, now Kissinger denies this, but Kissinger is wily like this. It is believed that ultimately the reason that Carter took the Shaw in for these cancer treatments at New York, uh, it was NYU Hospital, I believe. uh, The reason he did this was because uh, Kissinger threatened to basically annihilate the, um, was it the SALT II? arms reduction agreement that was going on between or the negotiations were going on between the US and the Soviet Union to reduce the number of nuclear weapons. Uh, And Kissinger said, I have the support of the Republicans in Congress. If you want your treaty passed, Mr. Carter, you're going to let uh, the Shah in for his treatment. And when they did that, let him in for treatment. That was when the doctor I was talking about, this Iranian American who was loyal to the, the Ayatollah phoned up the Americans and said, well, um, you cannot let him go. If you're going to bring him into America, you can't let the Shah, our great enemy who oppressed us into New York, because that is the center of of, of, of Zionism in America. That is, and And the fact that both Kissinger and David Rockefeller who are seen as like you know in the conspiratorial world they're yeah. viewed as like the purveyors of zionism uh that he the 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 doctor that was representing the ayatollah was saying you can't let them in because that will mean to the ayatollah that the americans really are in the back pocket of the jews who want to destroy our great beautiful new revolution and we will you know do something to the americans which of course they ultimately did with the the hostage crisis, but, but that was sort of the, the reason there was all this animus toward the Americans. It wasn't, I mean, part of it was, yes, we supported the Shah. That's was a general feeling. But really for the the Islamists who took over, who hijacked the revolution and took over power under the grand Ayatollah Khomeini, the real reason was because of their hatred of Jews. Uh, they thought that we were an agent of the Zionist cause in Israel. And, um, you know, and I talked about this in the book a lot and we talked about it a little bit last time. Basically, um the anti-Americanism and anti-Semitism of Iran's revolution is fused into that government. Remember, um in two thousand and nine, some of our uh, researchers got a hold of of a very uh, important textbook, history textbook that is taught in all the Iranian schools to kids in basically their equivalent of high school. And what they, f- they found was that there's only a, a small mention. And it's very passing mention of the 1953 supposedly CIA-backed coup that overthrew Mossadok, the socialist that was a Soviet agent, and put the oppressive Shah in power or kept him in power. Um, In 1979, people in the street were rebelling against the Shah because they said he wasn't the legitimate rule, that that he was put there as a puppet by the Americans. Um, But the Ayatollahs never shared that opinion. Uh, That they they hated the Shah, they hated the Shah, but they also hated Masadaq, the socialist as much as they hated the Shah, because he represented this sort of secular, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, attack on the Islamist traditions of Iran. So this notion that the 1979 revolution happened, led by Khomeini because Khomeini was so disgusted with uh, the Shah for the treatment of Masadaq is completely false. And in fact, as I show early in the book, Many of the same people who supported Khomeini in 1979 and 1953 were actually helping the CIA and the British and the Shah's generals to destroy Mossadak because they viewed Mossadak as a greater threat. So there's this whole history there that is completely misinterpreted and misrepresented in the West to Western students because I think of this Marxist element in our universities who have an interest in besmirching the real uh, American, uh, interests in Iran and what was going on at the time.
0: Can you, um, cause I know it's pretty generic and you, most of us, myself included, just write it off as like, well, of course they do. Can you explain exactly why it is the Iranians hate the Jews so much? Cause you do go into, into the book and it's a, yeah. some prophetical thing they're doing.
1: Yeah. So, and it's not all the Iran, I mean, I think it's important to note, um, just as a kind of a general disclaimer here. Um, most of the Iranian people, notably the young people, um, would prefer to have very good, healthy relations with America and the West. Mm. It is their regime, the government, it's that most
0: young people everywhere would rather just, right, uh, a form right. of peace.
1: Right. And so it is the government there that is causing so many problems, which is why now they have these riots going on, led by the women, of course, uh, who are the most repressed. But basically... Um, The regime of Iran is based on a very specific form of Shia Islam, which is called the Twelver uh, sect of Shia Islam, which is a very apocalyptic sect of Shia Islam. Basically, they believe that their great imam who will liberate them from oppression of the Sunnis and the infidels like the Jews, uh, that They have to basically initiate an apocalyptic war in order to free the Imam from his occlusion in a well. And uh, it is believed in the 12th century that he was hidden away for all of eternity to be released when the hour of of need came about, uh, when Iran would be surrounded by its enemies and it would need the assistance of the divine to overcome the infidels, the Jews, the, the Sunni Arabs all of the like. And so a large portion of this anti-Semitism, which really doesn't make any sense, it's completely from a secular or even from a non-Shia 12 or viewpoint, it's really mindless. But the, the reason is it has to do with this very extreme interpretation of the faith that is basically the foundational element of the regime there. It's the ideological underpinning. And you can't divorce that irrational notion from this particular regime. And I don't like to advocate regime change, and I don't believe that's something that we should be doing, but certainly we don't have to do business with a regime as nutty as this because you can't make these people rational. The only thing you can hope for is that the the people of Iran who are protesting now can overthrow what is really a weak regime. They have been weakened over the last 15 years between the sanctions, uh, between uh, the fact that the Sunni Arabs and the Israelis are standing up together more than they ever have uh, to contain them. And also with COVID, they were completely eviscerated by COVID. Um, And so all we can do is, is hope and help the people of Iran who are protesting to overthrow this weakening regime, because otherwise, a weakening dying regime that believes as this regime does this sort of end times, you know, you know, theory of existence. um, This kind of regime is the most dangerous kind because they're up against a wall and they're going to lash out. Uh, And so that's where we're at right now, but it has to do with this sort of very extreme interpretation of, of their faith.
0: Yeah. It almost makes you, it almost makes you, it almost makes you yearn for the good old days of the Cold War. Or it's like, well, hey, di- they were yeah. commies, but they had nukes and they yeah. were white and, you know, whatever. And it's like, right. dude, there's, now we're dealing with a, like a, like a mad dog. Yeah. It's like, dude, yeah. we want to what? We got free freedom from the well. Huh? Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what? And, 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 and I think it's important to note, Um, you know, I, one of my professors at the Institute of World Politics was, A guy named Dave Thomas, who was one of the longest serving Sovietologists at DIA, uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, Mike Flynn's old organization. Isn't that also
0: the CEO of Wendy's? Same.
1: Yeah, well, that we used to make that joke okay. too, but this is not the same. He's as friendly, he's one of the friendliest I it, guys. I believe it.
0: Yeah. Just...
1: Um, and but he basically his class was was wonderful, but he basically almost every class would regale us with cold war stories of his time, you know, as the, it was him and this guy Jack Ziak and the, the two of them. Um, but one of the things that he said to us, and it was a night class, so it was extremely chill. It was a great three-hour night class. In, in, you know, the I, I, IWP's campus in D.C. Uh, but one thing he said to us one night was he sort of he got very wistful and he was talking about, you know, dealing with the Iraq war and, and some of the W&D stuff and then how that triggered ISIS. And he was sort of just shaking his head. And then he kind of looked up and he goes, you know, back in my day, it was so much easier. It was red versus blue. We had one side of the world. They had the other half. And he said and there were rules. He said, and you followed those rules, and you respected them. And he said, and yet if you followed the rules most of the time, you were going to be fine, and and everybody would live happy. He said, but nowadays I feel sorry for your generation. He said, you guys, you got head choppers, and he said, it's just he is. you can't tell friend from foe anymore. Madness, yeah. And it I, is, it's it's a world gone mad.
0: I've kind of got it. us
1: back to what we were talking about before the show began. Which yeah, is, you know the end
0: yeah I've kind of got a theory that we do have some like nostalgic people like in the power elite, as C. Wright Mills would say. and yeah I've got a theory that they're trying to set up a cold war because they're like, dude, that was like basically it's a conclusion of like, listen, yeah. we're always going to be at war as as Dale says, we are the war warring ape. It can be here, right? It can be Mars. It's not gonna not right. happen right so. You know, it's a humans always are going to need to see some violence. So instead of like killing each other, like just watch the just watch football, play video games. Right. right? It's like it's a nego- it's a much more pragmatic negotiation of our like instincts. Mm-hmm. I almost think that they're like, let's get Russia and Ukraine go. And that's going to force NATO onto our side and start paying more bills. And it's going to face Russia. It's going to force Russia into China. Then we're going to have two huge polls. And then those are going to gravitationally attract the rest of the world. Yeah. And then we're gonna have the good old days of just having warheads on foreheads pointed at each other. No more of this. The problem is,
1: yeah. (laughs) The problem is, and this is what I was I was in DC talking to the talking to the it won't. I was in DC talking to the Air Force yesterday about this. And the the problem is is that the bipolar system, first of all, was not anywhere near as stable as we remember it. No, no, second of all, and second of all, there were rules. That no longer exist. Yeah. And they won't be restored because back in the day, the Soviet Union and the Americans, at least militarily, were about on par with each other. In certain areas, we were superior in certain areas. They were superior. But generally speaking, we understood that we were both at about parity And if we really did let loose and go to World War III, we would annihilate each other. Nobody really is winning. The Soviets thought they might be able to win a a limited nuclear war, but ultimately their leaders never wanted to push that envelope the way that Vladimir Putin seems to want to push that envelope, the way that Joe Biden seems okay to push that envelope. And then you throw in the Chinese... And whereas in the Cold War, they were sort of a tertiary player, Mm -hmm. they were never as powerful as either the Soviet Union or the Americans. They were sort of that middle kingdom that were just switching between the two sides, sort of like Italy. You know, they were sort of like Italy in World War II, switching between the two sides. Now, China is a behemoth and in many respects is more powerful with a lot more staying power than the Russian Federation has. Uh, to the point now that it looks like the Russians are basically marrying their power to China's growing power and becoming a glorified vassal state in China's growing Eurasian empire. Uh, And China, unlike the Soviet Union of old, or even the Russians today, um, has no desire to have direct talks with the Americans. They don't have a red phone linking, you know, the 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 Forbidden Palace with uh, the White House in the time of a nuclear crisis. The, the Xi Jinping can talk directly to the president of America and kind of cool things down. They don't want that. They want to maintain their opaqueness because they think that gives them strategic advantages over the West in a time of crisis. Normally, in the West, we believe. A time of crisis, instant, easy, direct communication resolves a lot of problems. It allows us to make better decisions, gives us better situational awareness. The Chinese prefer the fog of war. They prefer that murkiness. They want to distract and, and distance and dominate uh, through opaqueness, which is part and parcel of their system. So this notion that we can kind of have Cold War 2.0 just like we had Cold War 1 is never going to happen, especially when you take into account that, like I said, those rules are no longer there and the players don't want to live by those rules anymore. And the new technology also makes those rules somewhat outdated and not applicable anymore.
0: Yeah. Um. Back to your first book, Winning Space. Um, yeah. I wonder if there could be some parody in there though, and that it's, you almost don't need to be that hyper advanced to like, fuck up all of space. Right. If you can just create like a right. kind of skating debris field. Right. I wonder if our relative parity there would allow for some semblance of a, even just cold space war yeah. that maybe not on earth, maybe America is overwhelmingly powerful, but the fact that no one's got like a real grasp on space There might be some equalizing and thus stabilizing
1: power there. Right. So, if we can make it to 2027 to 2029 without a direct space war, our military and our defense contractors will probably have secured the critical weaknesses of our satellite constellations that I identify in the book. But I have serious doubts that our enemies who have been planning to fight and win a space war against the Americans since at least 2010. I have very little doubt that our enemies will wait for the Americans to plug those strategic gaps in our defenses. And so... Right now, there is a severe imbalance. And while we use space more than any of these other countries for various operations that are critical, both to our military and our civilian life, the fact of the matter is that it won't be another three to five years before China Uh, is as dependent on space systems as we are. And Russia has been conditioning their country to survive in a realm or a world reality where Russia doesn't have reliable access to internet, where Russia doesn't have reliable access to the global telecommunications system. Two years ago, Russia famously took its country offline and made the world's largest intranet an internal internet only for Russia. Why? Well, because I think they were practicing for when they do go after those critical telecommunication nodes and infrastructure in the global system as part of a war, say, in Ukraine. Um, And so if we can make it to the end of the decade, and I don't know if we can, I don't think we can, without a major space war, we can probably achieve that kind of parity you're talking about and sort of cancel out this risk or threat of losing a space war and therefore losing a major war on Earth. But... In the near term, that imbalance exists actually in the favor of the countries that have been developing counter-space capabilities for the last ten years, and that's China and Russia, even Iran and North Korea to a lesser extent. And in, in fact, in the Iranian instance and the North Korean instance, we call them rogue states for a reason. Um, ultimately, they are not even controlled by their their you know their benefactors, China and Russia, as well as we think they are. Uh, And who's to say that if Iran thinks its time is coming up, it might try to use it or lose it. And they might try to deploy some of their rudimentary space, uh, what counter space weapons to attack us or that North Korea might do the same, thinking that they don't have a choice. or the time is now to strike because the Americans are distracted and weak. Um, And so. Uh, you know, if we could make it to the end of the decade, I think we might be in a better situation without a war. And then we can threaten the Russians and certainly the Chinese with sort of a tit for tat, eye for an eye, a balance of power thing in space. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. And unfortunately, I think the advantage still lies in the Chinese, Russian, Iranian and North Korean hands.
0: Wouldn't uh, clear this up for me, wouldn't wouldn't us plugging the gaps by 2027 to 2029? 2029 wouldn't the plugging of said gaps result in imbalance and not parity wouldn't our wouldn't those no. pluggings result in parity
1: no because what i'm specifically referring to is making our existing satellite constellations more survivable And basically, by that point, China in particular will become much more dependent on space systems the way we are. And the logic is that once we've been able to secure existing satellite constellations from the vulnerabilities that China and Russia have identified, then we can then go to the Chinese in particular and say, hey, China, you're now as reliant on space as we are. If you try to attack our systems, we're going to attack your systems in kind, and that'll basically create a cascade of knockout that will just basically send us back. But right now, China knows, A, they're not as dependent on these systems as we are in the present, and B, guess what? The American systems are super vulnerable right now. And so we can easily dazzle or destroy those systems and really be able to run roughshod without much fear of Uh, an in-kind reprisal. I gotcha.
0: Which then makes you want to start thinking like, you know, is Starlink something to sort of force their hand to be like, we are now making worldwide access to internet available. And maybe it's like, fuck we got to get our own starlink and in doing that you are now dependent on space welcome to the right. game we both have reporters right. at each other's exactly other. so, that's exactly. wild so you're forcing so, it's like it's almost yes. like adm treaties right yeah well,
1: so here's the thing my argument is pretty uh, much for the last decade deterrence has died and we need to restore deterrence and this is how we restore deterrence in the long term Um, And so when I say this to people in DC, like yesterday, or yeah, it was yesterday morning, I guess. Uh, Yesterday morning, only one of the 50 generals really got what I was saying. The others were thinking that I was talking about like basically initiating a war and blah, blah, blah. And so we got into this whole thing and I was like, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about you have to accept the idea that deterrence as we understand it doesn't exist anymore. And the way to get back to deterrence is where it actually does exist is by embracing these new technologies, understanding these existing vulnerabilities and plugging them now rather than waiting And then we can restore deterrence because then all of those areas where the Russians or the Chinese think that they can get one on us, those are gone. And then they have no choice but to play fairly or to play as fairly as one can.
0: When I was pre-med, and I have told the story a couple of times on here before, there was like 300 kids in my class. And because getting into medical school is so competitive, it's not just enough that you got an A on a test. They want to see what your grade was relative to the rest of the class. Maybe you get an A on OCHEM, but then they look into it and they realize that this is a school that gives out A's easily, so your A is not that respectable. So to me, it wasn't enough that in a class of 300 where the average on a test is a 50 and 10 kids get an A, If I got an A, but I knew the other nine kids weren't actually studying that they just had old, because if you're in a fraternity, you could get old tests. And so I knew that Mm -hmm. there were these guys that weren't studying as hard as I was, but they were getting A's. That really pissed me off because I was like, I'm studying around the clock. I want to get my A. I didn't want anyone to fail. But when it came to push, when push comes to shove, I was like, this is war. I'm trying to get into, I'm trying to get into a, I got into the University of Miami School of Medicine. 15,000 people applied, 100 got in. I was like, I'm not fucking playing games here. So I remember befriending them, and I got copies of the tests. I didn't need them because I was studying around the clock. I knew the information. So I uploaded the tests anonymously to a student forum. Every kid got them. Professor found out, changed all the tests. Mm -hmm. Everybody failed but me. I got a letter of recommendation from that professor. But what I did was I forced everyone to play fairly. And that's right. Although that benefited me wildly and I don't regret anything. Fuck. Fuck you. But (laughs) in terms of everything, I think the vast majority of kids actually did much better off because then there was like a curve on the class because it was like, Hey, these other nine kids, they're not getting A's. Right. There was just me, just the outlier, which worked. I got my letter of recommendation. I'm good. I got my piece, but everyone else, it was like, Hey man, all those other frat guys, like your frat brothers aren't like world smarter than you. They're just, they're just cheating. And right. it's in my interest for them not to cheat, but it's also that's right. Maybe it's my own psychopathy justifying itself. But I was like well, it's
1: also a classic American response. Yeah. That's like a classic because you know, <laughs> like O-J. traditionally, yeah, because yeah, like <laughs> traditionally we used to at least believe in like fair play and justice yeah. and blah blah blah. And that's sort of become cynically derided, but I think yeah. it's still in us, but it worked like, fundamentally. It also worked. And right, right. And so, you know, exactly. That's a great way to apply this to what's going on with China and Russia in these countries is they are manipulating events to their and why wouldn't they? I mean, it's well, all the way. Why wouldn't you? And if I and, was one of those frat guys,
0: is, I'd be using the test too.
1: Right. And the problem is though, for them is that we need we could very easily get one or two leaders in power who are going to say, Hey, you know what? We're going to make this fair again. And this is how we're gonna do it. And it wouldn't be that hard for us to do it. It just requires discipline, vision, and funding. And those are the three things that they won't do in DC because everybody up there is so very complacent. They're very complacent. And the, the, you know, I was talking to a guy when we were waiting for this airplane yesterday at the, at the airport, I was talking to a guy who's, he's loaded. He was brilliant guy, but he's a financial advisor up in Northern Virginia. He has a place down here in Naples. And we were talking while we were waiting for the plane. And he was like, uh, he, he, he was telling me about how basically uh the um. And now I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, play, play,
0: no, no, no play, playing fair, discipline, vision, funding.
1: Right, right. He was he was telling me about basically how you know uh, he. Um, I'm sorry, I lost it again. Wow. Anyway,
0: here. no, 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 no. I, well, well, no. It's 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 is uploading the tests where everyone has the same scores, kind of bringing it all up the playing field. You have it in you. It's derided for playing fair. Get a couple of world leaders to make everyone put fair play, play fair, uh, uh disciplined vision funding. Right. Everybody is so focused on their own fiefdoms, they don't want to do that, and right something in there. Right.
1: Well, um, basically the the um the the fact of the matter is is that the the competition. For it to to have meaning, the competition has to have a set of ground rules that everybody agrees to. And we're not living in that anymore. And so the Cold War had a set of ground rules. Remember what Dave Thomas said. You know, back in my day, there was a set of ground rules, and if basically you followed them, you were going to be okay. It's when you started getting leaders and people trying to upend the system that you had problems um, and today you have a whole coterie of nations. And by the way, not all of them are enemies. Some of them are our are, are, are friends yeah. uh, who are trying to take advantage of what they perceive to be American weakness. And what we that's what I was going to say, uh, what this guy was telling me. About complaint. I was talking about complacency. What this guy was telling me is he was saying, you know, my wife and I want to, we're trying to retire down to Naples permanently, but we still have our house up in Arlington, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, and he said, I'll sell it to you, but, uh, you know, it's going up in cost every day. He said, because Northern Virginia is, of course, recession proof. And I stared at him and he, uh, and he said it was the same thing in 08. He said the rest of the country's values of homes and everything were crashing, but DC kept getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And I said, right. And I said, so why would anybody up here who's in power want to upset that apple cart? Cause they live here too. And so when you have leaders like this, they don't want to call China and Russia out on their shenanigans too much because ultimately that's going to upset the apple cart. It's going to force them to also change the way they operate as well as the Russians and Chinese. You set them into an unknown territory and complacent people don't like the unknown. They fear the unknown. Um, you know, And so what you and I are talking about is trying to change the game, the rules of the game, so that it is fairer. And so that everybody does understand the boundaries and the red lines and how far they could go. And that's going to create peace. But these guys and gals in D.C. don't want that.
0: If I'm one of the other nine guys getting an A. I might be sitting around them and saying, uh, you know, we could make this even for everyone. And ultimately, we're the nine guys in Virginia. And they're going, yeah, but why the fuck would we want to do that? We're we're going out partying every night and we're still getting A's a's right. that normally take 80 hours a week of studying right well there is kind of a beautiful thing about someone like me uploading it is like i don't need their approval i j- like like the like like signs just exist like something is just flammable it doesn't matter whether right. not someone wants it lit on fire if i apply fire to it, it's going up there's right. something beautiful about it. i was able to look at it and go well, i don't need anyone's approval i'm going to do it anyway The deluge is going to, it's going to happen itself. Once A's go out, that's going to spread on its own. Hey dude, there's a cheat sheet up online. Oh, you tell me the class I have an F in, I can get an A now? Mm -hmm. It did it itself. All it took was someone to knock it, like a Jenga tower is just there. Right. You don't have to want to knock it over, but if someone is so inclined to knock it over, entropy is going to say, bring this thing down and make it messy, right? That's just the universal law. That's right. So you have everyone in D.C. Why do they want to upset the apple card? It's all great. Right. And then you have some Elon Musk motherfucker that's like, it's not right. enough that I get an A. It's right. not enough that I have 300 right. billion. I that's want right. trillions. And as we talked about last time, it's not enough that America does well. I want to leave the planet entirely. And now all of a sudden right. you got nine guys wanting to be mm-hmm. gatekeepers Or you could say they are priests who want the mass to be said in Latin. That's right. And then you got some Martin Luther motherfucker with a quill going, you got 99 theses. And everyone's like, nine guys are going, that's bad. But then you have 90 people going, what's that? Well, you go over there. And he's like, hey, fuckers, you want to read the Bible on your own? And they're like, well, why not? And then you have a couple pedophiles in the top who are going, no, we're the gatekeepers. And then it breaks. Right. And it's happened again and again in history. Printing well, press. Trump
1: just did it recently, started to do it. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a revolution failed or interrupted, we'll see. But yeah, but he this is why he's hated yes. so much because is the, why he
0: he uploaded. He's a
1: disruptor. Right. He, yeah. He's, and so now the, the the issue is, of course, you had follow through on your end when you did this, I don't know if he'll have the same level of discipline to do the follow through. And in fact, that's, I think, part of the reason why he didn't win re-election There was other, there's cheating, of course, but yeah. I think there was more to it. Um, so this is, you know, gets us into like discipline and leadership, but ultimately what what I'm talking about is restoring a degree of sanity to a system that has gone completely insane, largely because our leaders who took that that Cold War victory and basically, rather than build from it, sort of just coasted, sort of put up. the plane on, yeah, sort of put the plane on autopilot without realizing you got to refuel the plane once in a while as it's kind of going down slowly, and it looks great because it's just kind of gliding down, and yeah, yeah there's the ground, notice. but it, yeah, right until boom, yeah. and so what I'm trying to avoid is the crash. Because yeah. the crash is going to get us killed. And something that I did say to the military is we just survived Hurricane Ian here. And my, my house was literally in the eye. Uh we had 140 mile an hour winds in my front yard. Um two of our friends drowned to death in Fort Myers Beach, oh my um, God. swept out to sea. We had no power here for 12 days. It's still flickering, no internet, no running water for 12 days. Um it was Katrina-level destruction. Of course, the media didn't cover it because this area is generally Republican uh, and middle-upper class. But the point is, this was Katrina-level disaster. By day three, when people realized there's no police, they're not around, there's not enough of them, the National Guard's still coming in, but they're not quite set up yet, there's no lights, there's nobody coming. Basically, by day three, it got pretty bad. Now our little community got together and we're watching out for each other, but outside of our community in the city, there was looting going on. Sure, People were, and this is a relatively well-to-do area, but Hey, you know, why not? And so, you know, it, I watched the breakdown of civilization and it happened pretty quickly by day five, day seven, even neighbors were turning on one another. Um, you know, so, when people lack the basic accoutrements of modern society, um, it gets very ugly, very fast. And when you're not sure if there is help coming, it gets real bad. Mm -hmm. And um, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans with electromagnetic pulse weapons, with cyber attacks, with these attacks on critical space telecommunications networks, they can really, really do the same thing to our society that a hurricane did down here in Florida, but they can do it to the whole country. And they can do it in a way where maybe we don't recover from it. Uh, The EMP commission in 2002 determined that if an EMP were detonated 50 miles above the continental United States, the power would be knocked out for a minimum of two years. And in those two years between looting and all this other stuff, basically upwards of 80 to 90% of our population would die. That is the, and we have had a series of warnings. So the 21st century, beginning with really, 9-11, 9/11, going through the the failure of to find WMD in Iraq, going through the 2008 recession, going through the pandemic, going through now on a smaller scale this this crisis down in Florida. We've had a series of warnings telling us from the universe or whatever, "Hey, America, your society hangs by a thread, and either nature or other humans." can shred that overnight and it might take a while or never to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And what I have been trying to warn with my work is to let people know that there are ways to avoid these nightmare scenarios. We could have avoided 08 as early as 2006. John McCain, actually I remember went to the floor of the Senate and was warning about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and people were laughing him off the stage. Uh, I remember And the famous Bill O'Reilly, when Bill O'Reilly was still on Fox News, the Bill O'Reilly Barney Frank showdown, where Barney Frank said, the fundamentals of the economy are still great. And he was going on. And I remember Bill O'Reilly doing his thing, screaming at him, saying, no, they're not. And of course, six to eight weeks later, the economy crashed in 08. I remember all of this. All of this was avoidable. My friend Michelle Walker refers to this as a gray rhino event, as opposed to a black swan event. She says that a gray rhino event is an event that everybody can see coming down the line. They see the dust being kicked up by the rhino, but they think, ah, it's far down the line. We're going to focus on this problem and this problem and this problem. Then we'll get out of the way of the stampede. But before you know it, the stampede's on you and you've been so fixated on what's in front of you, you get run over by the stampede. That's the gray rhino. And we've got a series of those that we have faced and that we are going to face soon. Uh, And all of these events are warnings. And every time our basic fundamental infrastructure fails us, our decision-making apparatus fails us, our intelligence apparatus fails us. And rather than learning from those failures, rather than firing the people who should be fired for those failures... Those people stay in government, they get promoted, they get more influence, they keep repeating the same mistake. And now here we are bearing down on what I think is, God help us, a nuclear World War three, totally avoidable, and yet we're not doing anything to even prepare. What I was talking to the Air Force about yesterday, I was saying we need to have a, if you'll pardon the expression, a crash program over the next 18 months that is dedicated to deploying space-based wet missile defense that that needs to be all other priorities need to be frozen in place all funding and all priority needs to go into this because we are now living in a world where those old rules those old taboos of nuclear oh, brinksmanship they don't apply it's not just the crazy mullahs in iran threatening us or kim jong un it's now supposedly great powers like russia and china and the so gen- what are we going gen- to do
0: the gentlemanly duel that rules out the window hey guys, uh, you need to start dumping R&D into Kevlar vests yesterday. Right, like, right. And even, that,
1: yeah, right. And you know, the whole thing is even with a rudimentary space-based missile defense system, it obviously is not going to provide 100% total protection, but even a Kevlar vest saves lives. It well, doesn't make bullets obsolete, but it saves lives. And that's got to be the priority because people are going to die. yeah, And nobody wants to talk about that. And this country has a very unhealthy obsession with, with not accepting death. But people now, because of decades of inaction and decision or indecision by various leaders from both parties, we're now in a place where nuclear war is going to happen at some point soon, however limited. People are going to die. It isn't just going to be in some foreign land. It's going to happen here too. And we need to just talk about preserving as much innocent American lives as possible. And we're not talking like that. And that means that everybody's going to pay the price as opposed to just some people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the scary conundrum of right Dick Cheney giving the clearance to shoot down airliners on 911, right. and people look at it and say, "How could you be so heartless? A plane of 300 people hijacked. Right. If it crashes into the Capitol, those 300 die, right. and another thousand die. If you right. shoot down the plane, bad though it may be, those 300 die, and no one else dies.
1: That's right.
0: You're not getting away from the 300 dead. It's a sorry, right. sad thing. Right." And then you can have like, you know, the heroic Todd Beamer, sure. But there are there is some cold calculus. And just because it's not That's a right. happy, just because there isn't a happy option doesn't mean you can go, well, I'm right. not gonna look at it. Right. You have no you have to. Right. You have to. Right. And right.
1: And that, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I can I can only hope that the formation of Space Force it was is there's something there's something I, i'm not too confident but i also am not willing to say that all is lost yet
1: right well all is not lost but the problem is now um you know it has become absorbed in this sort of orange man always bad mentality and because it is considered a product of donald trump it has always been met with at best derision at worst outright hostility and they have a lot of people running the show in space force who uh, just don't agree that Space Force should exist. Yeah. The Heritage Foundation just did a report in which they were basically parroting what I've been saying for a year and a half to two years now, which is that Space Force lacks a mission. And because it lacks a mission, it's not getting the kinds of resources that it needs. Coast Guard is getting more resources than the Space Force gets. I love the Coast Guard, but we need a Space Force to be a lot more powerful and robust than the Coast Guard. Uh, and... Because of the bureaucratic inertia, and because of the fact that it's associated with Donald Trump, this organization, and it it lacks a strategic vision, and so it can't say, hey, we need X, Y to do Z from government, from Congress, and from the president, it sort of just exists. Nobody really knows what it does. And so that is a terrible position to be in if you're a new bureaucracy fighting for your survival when the air force was created amongst all the the controversy in 1940 the 1940s it's yeah it's still 1947 thank you it still had a mission people understood it they may not have agreed it but they understood it i don't know what space for i tell you what it should be space dominance but when i say that to these people in dc they get viscerally angry with me you can't use that don't say that I had one person from the military. I'm not going to say who it was. Tell me that that is um, that term is offensive to in today's uh I'll society and, and, and that it's heteronormative and it's going to alienate oh, a lot of potential recruits. And I said to them, I said, look, I go, I don't even know if I was a young recruit, I wouldn't even know why I would want to join space force because I'm thinking it's going to be star Wars, star Trek. And all I know in reality is that you're committed to diversity that's not going to attract anyone really that's not nobody cares whether you're black white hispanic that your organization is diverse they want to know that they're working for an entity that a is kind of cool and b and b its mission might save the world yeah that is how you appeal to these these young people people want young people are starved for heroism And the Space Force should be giving it to them in space, and instead, they're not. They're talking about diversity, and they're talking about we're going to have the coolest keyboards and blah, and the uniform. Nobody cares about that. They just want, want cool factor, and they want to feel like they're taking part in something heroic the defense of America, the salvation of the world, whatever. Yeah. They're not talking like this in their recruitment because there's no mission because the leaders of space force, most of them don't even really think it should exist anyway. So here they're we are.
0: being served up on a platter strategic air command 2.0. Those big, mm-hmm. sexy Chrome bombers. Hey, you know, Fuck the Marines, yep. fuck the Navy. We yep. got the H bombs, and we're gonna be yep. circling Russia. And we've got the nuclear bunkers. That is the you could say whatever you want. It's like, but dude, if you work for Curtis LeMay in the fifties, right? You're the front.
1: They have that. Yeah. It's you could do right. it. You can and, be the and, space you know, Marines. I know. I, well, that's the thing is so oh. in 2019, I was meeting with the heads of Space Force. This is before they cut me out because they thought I was a disruptive personality. Um, before I was cut out, though, they, they were meeting with me and we were talking about what you should call the people in Space Force. So the Air Force has an airman. The the Navy has sailors. Marines are Marines. Uh, the army has soldiers or GIs back in the day. Um, what do we call uh, space force? Uh, uh, you know personnel. And I said, well, you could either go with the sci-fi sounding spacer. Why not? Uh, I said, or oh, you can do spaceman. And they said, no, we can't do that. I said, why not? Because any new organization in the military, they're not allowed to use the ending of man. It has to be a non-gender specific. Term. So spaceman's out. I said, okay, well, that sounded kind of weird anyway. Spaceman. I said, what about like a space trooper?
0: Space cadet. Yeah.
1: Or well, space cadet, you can't say because you know it sounds kind of you know, he's a space <laughs> cadet. But I said, what about like a space trooper or a spacer? No, no, they settled on guardians. Guardians was what they settled on. The most neutral, pacifistic sounding, idiotic. Guardian. Guardians, like guardians, the guardians of at, the galaxy. Guardi- guardians
0: work at nursing homes,
1: right? Right. Guardians bless are the them, dogs, but they're you not. Know, who, right, right. It's not going to attract a young person Delta who may it. have, want... yeah, like like Delta, yeah, or you know, SOCOM or yeah, that's cool. Jay, that has a Jay wow sock. factor.
0: Yeah, fucking and it's NSA. Like,
1: yeah, and like the some... Space Force is a cool name, but you're calling them guardians. Soft language creates soft people, as George Carlin once said. And that's what they are. They're soft. Guardians and they're all
0: presidential libraries.
1: Sure. Right. Like right. Right. And it's just it's pathetic. They should have been space troopers, they should have been spacers, anything but guardians.
0: Well, you know. What a joke. You know. I would imagine there's probably going to be some Sputnik-esque moment that will, if we have a chance, we will act on it then. That unfortunately seems to be kind of our history. That seems to be like what we're from is you kind of have to have your pants around your ankles, right? I mean, maybe. I mean, you know, Eisenhower wasn't that concerned with Sputnik. Well, he knew what it was. He was like, "It's a, it's a right. fucking, it's a tin can." And right. for all of his faults, and they are almost innumerable, LBJ, to his credit, was like, "No," and he was using it for his own political gain. But right, like, who the, who isn't that? In a weird way, that is capitalism. It's incentive. Right. So he was like, "Hey, we are not going to." What did he say? I will not live under a red moon. Right. Hey, man, it works. It works, That's right? And it, well, it he's tonight. right. And
1: for all of its flaws, he helped push for NASA. LBJ right. is not a good guy, but I mean, fuck, give credit where it's due. Well, yeah, it's and it's ironic that there was this switch, as I talked about in the first book. There was a switch beginning with Nixon where, I uh, say after Nixon, where the Democrats became the party of anti-space and the Republicans became kind of the party of pro-space, which, of course... Ran completely counter to how it started out, where JFK was having to like push through all the skepticism from the Republicans.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Right. And so, um, you know, my my issue with the Space Force is that it needed to happen. It should have happened 10 years ago. It needed to happen. But they don't have the right personnel generally speaking and they don't have a doctrine a strategic doctrine that would give space force the kind of heft they needed to go to congress and say we need funding this is what we're going to use it for here is our here is our ends ways means this is what here here are our throughputs like a business plan they don't mm-hmm. have that They have no guiding document. I know that Space Force yells at me. We did create a doctrine. It's like a 50-page paper I can't make heads or tails of. It's all of this language that's soft language in there for soft people that what they needed to do was say a one-pager. You go to every congressman, every senator and say, we're doing space dominance. If we don't do space dominance, it's going to be a space Pearl Harbor. We need over 10 years a trillion dollars to spend on various space systems starting with space based missile defense that's what we need that's our that's our rallying call and if you don't want to fund it that's fine but put it in public and let the people know you're making us less safe because this is what we need but they're not too, they're afraid they're yeah. afraid to go to congress they're afraid that's- to to push the envelope because they want to be liked and they want to work within the within the interagency system so
0: I mean, f- fucking you and I both like Trump. Painted as anti-Trump for all, I give a shit. Be like Trump started I, you it, you know, and Biden said, you know, Biden build it back Harris, better, and yes. I'll fucking salute yeah. you for it. That's Go right.
1: Kamala Harris's uh science advisor, because uh, you know the the traditionally the vice president heads the White House Space Council. The vice president Harris. Uh, I can't remember if it was right before or right after inauguration, but it was in late January, early February of 2021. A a colleague of mine at the Pentagon said, hey, I recommended you to give some consulting time to the vice president's office. Do you want in? And I said, yeah, I'll talk to the OVP's office. you know, and I didn't charge, I didn't, I didn't get any money off of this. I thought it would be the right thing to do. Cause I told them, I said, they do know my politics. They said, yeah, but they're talking to a bunch of people and you, your book is very prevalent right now. And they figured they're going to talk to you too, just to get some outside input. I said, okay. So I spent about two and a half hours talking to this person. I was a fine conversation, but the one thing that I took away was first of all, they didn't really, they, they understood the threat that the Russians and Chinese were posing to us in space, but for whatever reason, they didn't really want to deal with Space Force because it was a Trump initiative. And what I said to, the, what I said to this person was, "They said, look, I go, who cares who created it? What matters is your side's in power now. Make so why don't win. you make it successful and make it your own?
0: Yeah, go for it. I don't
1: and mean, they just couldn't. It's the same thing in the Middle East, by the way. It's why Biden is on the brink of weakening the Mohammed bin Salman leadership in Saudi Arabia to such a point that I fear there could be some kind of a coup that's going to only empower Iran. Uh, because the Abraham Accords were the basis, for and were founded or Trump, and so orange man is always bad, even if it benefits America. So it's that same kind of mentality we're seeing play out throughout this administration on both foreign and domestic policies. I didn't understand why Biden just didn't carry on the Trump economic policies and just slap Bill Back Better on it. Go for it, but he didn't. I mean, who cares? Who gives? You a know, shit? Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, for all of his faults. Bill Clinton, when he ran for president against Bush, H.W. Bush, he stole most of George H.W. Bush's agenda and called it his own. And that's why he was reelected. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Who cares? You know, that's I would prefer that because we all benefit from that. Yeah. Rather than getting these ideologues from the left who are nuts And going to rip apart the country just because the previous Republican president they didn't like was doing this, and therefore it's all evil. It's all bad and has to. And so the thing with Space Force is now you have an agency or a department of the military that's adrift at a time when we need it to be more focused and more energized than ever before. It's a disaster. We would have been better off. I hate to say this. I worry that that this is the case. We probably now looking at it would have been better off not having spun it off to begin with, which I think is what the bureaucracy wants us to conclude. Because ultimately, the Air Force and these other agencies in the Pentagon don't want to have to compete with another agency for funding. And Space Force, if it's done right, should be the most expensive uh, department we have in the Pentagon. And the Air Force... And the Navy, the other technical branches don't want to compete with that.
0: Maybe, maybe you're not lobbying to the right people. Maybe you need Probably to Probably not. You need to be lobbying. I'm not even trying to be funny. You need to be lobbying at like Raytheon dinners. Get the fucking well, yeah, military they'd have get They have get, me. The military industrial <laughs> complex exists. It already exists. Yeah, I, I tell know. Them, and I'm I tell keep, and be like, I keep, no, less than a trillion them. dollars over 10 years. Get them I mean, I don't their know. It's in, their,
1: it's in there. It's in their best. And this gets us back to what we were talking about at the beginning with why aren't we getting ours? You know, this it's in their interest to get. And by the way, it's in America's unlike Afghanistan, which was a boondoggle. Yeah. Unlike these Middle East wars, this is actually something that not only these companies are better at doing. The higher end tech stuff, yeah. But it's also something that would make them a lot of money, and in the process, protect the country.
0: Yeah, they don't do the whole blowing up tents well. Let them build the IR laser, right. orbit. Like that's their that's right. That's their Gucci, like right. Maybe you and I need to fucking start a consulting company and just go. I you know what? At this rate, other.
1: at this rate, I it's I'd for thought the you good money. of the
0: country, and we'll make a penny.
1: I mean, we we might as well. I. It's just kind of it's ridiculous that. Nobody in the bureaucracy is 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 taking this as an opportunity to do something really monumental the way LeMay did with Strategic Air Command. In fact, they all hate LeMay. Everybody hates LeMay. You know, he was a horrible person, warmonger, blah, 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 blah. But it was like he was effective. What do, you, what do you, you think in General,
0: this country? What do you think a general who helped win World War II was? Do you think I he know. was a happy, peaceful
1: guy? Right, no, right. He was scared that he'd be tried but for war. But, you know, they all hated him. They, that's right. They all hated Thank him. Thank God we had they LeMay and Patton
0: and MacArthur. Know. I know. Thank God we I had know. those animals. I know.
1: I know. I know. You need, you know, dangerous times. You need dangerous men. Even JFK um, knew that.
0: He said you don't want LeMay deciding whether or not you go to war. But if you go to war, God damn it, you, you want LeMay yeah, going he, in.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Cigar that's chomping right. and everything, fifteen hundred right. megatons.
1: That's right. <sighs> and, and, yeah, but it's a cultural change, and and it's one that this is one that I worry about. This is why in my first book, and I got a lot of flack from this, from critics. You know, you spent so much time on domestic politics that's not related to space. It actually is. It actually is very much related to space because how we view ourselves. And what we prioritize is a reflection of our cultural values. And for whatever reason, we are living in a malaise. Uh, We don't believe in ourselves the way we used to. We don't dream the way we used to. We've become very nihilistic in our pursuits. We shoot down
0: down optimism.
1: That's right. That's right. We have naysayers who don't believe we can do it. And then we have the utopians who think if we weaponize space as if the enemy hasn't already done this, but if we weaponize space, that'll trigger the war we're trying to, to avert. And it's just this kind of crazy utopian thinking. It gets us back to that academic you know, theoretical construct where these these people making decisions and having a lot of influence are these academics who have no idea what the real world is like, who don't understand that people really wanna kill us because we're American because free. we offend their sensibilities because we threaten their way of life. And either we change or they do. And I'm more in favor of them changing, or in this case, being you know kept back, kept at bay by the power of our weapons. Uh, than I want to see us change to be more complementary to the Iranians or the North Koreans or the Russians or the Chinese. It's just not something I'm interested in because that's a less safe world for us. That's a more dangerous world for freedom.
0: The greatest war ever was ended by the greatest weapon ever, which was in peace. There's a reason the reason we've been at relative world peace since August 9th, 1945. And and it's because of the scariest fucking weapons imaginable
1: and the most destructive potential world war, nuclear world war that we seem to be screaming toward could be avoided with the most powerful American built defensive system of space-based missile defenses yeah could be avoided entirely yeah and then that would force the russians and would force the chinese force the iranians force the north koreans to either start behaving better or be destroyed you better. know who
0: you know who's still alive and it still gives speeches and he's on a board of a director somewhere is lieutenant general james Abramson, who headed up STF. yeah
1: and yeah. He, I actually, I quote him in the book extensively and uh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. And he's, he's an old timer. He's one of the dinosaurs and
0: he's we still, won't see
1: his kind again for a while.
0: You need to, cause I've been trying to get him since 2020 and I can't get connected. Yeah. You need to get him on here with you and we need to get right. him. Cause that guy is not stupid. That guy knows how the games played. Yeah. Rah, rah, America. No, no, no. You go to the CEO of Boeing, Raytheon general dynamics right. and go a trillion dollars over the next 10 years. That's right. You can paint it however you want. Say that we've got to defend Ukraine. That's
1: that's fucking right. paint it however you want. Who cares? Americans hate America. Right. Slap up the blue. Tell and them yellow. you're defending you're defending the world from fascism or whatever.
0: Defending, you know, you're whatever. Defending Ukraine. Say we need space-based right. weapons
1: so but that we Russia don't
0: do. we did do. fuck fucking say it's for right. Ukraine. They clearly right. don't think. Call it right. Build Back Better instead of SDI.
1: I don't give right. a shit. Right. This is what I was saying to the Kamala Harris people, but they didn't listen. They didn't listen. And then after I wrote that Washington Times piece in which I called them out for what they were planning to do to Elon Musk and SpaceX, because he wouldn't conform to their preferred ideology, uh, you know, I was basically cut out from any further discussions, uh, which is fine.
0: You know, it makes me think that class that I got that day in. I remember before I did that, I remember there was some girl in the chem class, and I remember her saying she's like, "I was just talking to the professor. Do you know that like, uh, the class averages of fifty five, and there's one guy, there, there's one person getting A's, and like, why do you, why does that one person have to do that? Like, you know, if they didn't do that, like, we'd all get a, we'd all get a curve. And I just remember thinking, like, in my, I didn't say anything, but because she didn't know it was me, but I remember my mind thinking, I was like, what a sad, sorry existence." That you have to bring but, down one person who's achieving,
1: right? But that is indicative of the culture shift of, that of I talk where about in yeah. space, which is why I worry about our ability to exploit space. Do we even want to win? That's no, no. And this is why, when you mentioned, you know, real quick, when you mentioned, um, you mentioned it takes us having our pants down around our ankles for us to kind of wake up, yes and no. Um, you know, I remember in college, um, I had a professor, uh, she was a brilliant woman. Um, she taught, um, was it, it was ancient Rome after it was something with ancient Rome. I don't remember now what it was, my, it was my freshman year, but I do remember she was talking about how art influences politics and how the Romans used art as a, basically a form of early propaganda and blah, blah, blah. And then she brought up 9-11 and the response. And she said, if you remember after Pearl Harbor, America united as never before uh, and basically stood together through the duration of the war and overcame. And after 9-11, that similar patriotic spirit was reawakened, but thankfully it didn't last as long as it did after Pearl Harbor. And maybe next time we'll see reason. And I remember just sitting there Like twitching, like what? And but she has a point because she's right. Because it wasn't more than a year after 9-11 that Americans were we're again were we were divided. Now, some of that was George W. Bush's fault with Iraq, but the fact of the matter is, is that we fell apart when the going got tough within a year. And we never got back together. And so many of our divisions today can be traced back to those debates over the Iraq War of 2002, 2003, and we've never quite gotten over it. And so I don't know if another, if a space Pearl Harbor happens or a Sputnik moment happens that we'll even register or even care. And furthermore, you could make the case that what's going on with quantum computing in China, that was the Sputnik moment and nobody cares. And even the people in tech are like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal though. It is a big deal. It is a big deal because this isn't just another company. This is a foreign government that is actively at war with the United States and has been for f- almost 50 years. And they're not going to stop until they beat us. And so, yeah, it is a big deal. But I don't think most Americans really give a damn. That's a big difference from the 1950s where everybody was panicking about Sputnik. Everybody was thinking that means they're going to be able to put nukes in space. They're going to have you know, you know know nukes pointed at us at all times. Most Americans understood that. Today, not so much.
0: The brainwashing has been so effective that people now, they probably probably go, you know what, we deserve to have nukes. Point. It's like you are fucking cows walking into the slaughter, going, "This is what I get for being a cow." No, that's
1: right. Fucking, you know,
0: stand up, be proud of being a cow, or right. But, but we... and
1: this is but th- this is the point, though because just go back to Iran and you look at what I was talking about with how we teach today's Americans yeah. about Iran and the fact that they teach our, our educators, because they themselves believe uh, they have taught succeeding generations that we are the cause of Iran's current problems. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, this sort of blame America first mentality that Gene Kirkpatrick used to talk about in the 80s very much alive and well in this country, and it's been taken to extreme heights to the point that in many cases now, and this is going to be very unpopular, what I'm going to say, many people on our side of the aisle, on the right, are starting to take up this sort of blame America first mentality. It's become universal. It's become universalized because of three generations of Marxist teachings masquerading as informed liberal uh, critiques and criticism. It's not. It is deconstruction. It is destruction uh, of the highest form. And it has been brought upon us by people who are ideologically more in tune with the likes of You know Lenin and and Marx than they are George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and this is a big problem because now we're forgetting who we are, and so we're not we don't have that same get up and go. Some of us still do, but nowhere near a majority. And it's only going to get worse. And now those few people who do have to get up and go, well, they now will be targeted, like you said with your friend, the the girl. They now will be saying, "How?" Most people say, "How do we tear down those few achievers? How do we?" And those few achievers will in turn leave brain drain, and they'll go to China. Yeah, they'll go to China, where they are welcomed,
0: or they'll leave. That is where we're at. Yeah, Or they'll leave
1: the planet planet with uh, a group of people that they think are superior. And then you have some weird stuff going on. there, And
0: then you get some really weird stuff going on. Which, you know, now I'm looking at it, I'm like, maybe that's not the worst idea. But uh, there is one kind of beautiful caveat, though. And when I eventually did speak up, like, a couple weeks later, that I was the person with the A. And she did attack me. There is a beauty in that. Well, the person driven enough to get an A also doesn't give a shit what. Right. No offense. What this fat bitch was saying in lab. <laughs> so, there is a beauty in that they will attack the Elon Musk's, the Elon Musk's and the Bezos for all of their flaws. They also don't give a shit. They are. They don't. A lion give,
1: doesn't care about the opinion of sheep. They don't give a fuck,
0: and that is the beauty. Is. They don't right. give a shit. So when people ask me why am I still so optimistic and why am I still pro so pro America, I don't give a fuck how popular it is to hate this place. I don't give a shit. Right. I never have. Right. My there's a re- me getting banned from YouTube wasn't some anomaly in my personality. I don't give a fuck. Right. I'm gonna do what I know is right. I don't give a shit. Right, right, and I will continue to do so.
1: Um And that's all we can do. Goddamn right.
0: That was a great episode. That got me fired up, man. I'm fucking jacked. I'm 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 to start going fucking scream in the street and know, <laughs> promptly get arrested. Um, dude, that was that was dope, man. Um, as always, I'm gonna have you back on a million more times. Um
1: great, it's enjoyable.
0: It's it is fun, it's therapeutic. You gotta, you gotta yeah. let it out. And I imagine and for you know, for you and I talking, there are a lot more people that don't have podcasts that you know they right. Got, nine to five, and they have a wife and kids, but they feel the same. And it is good for them to know that, like, you're not alone. A, a lot of a lot of people do hate this defeatism. They do recognize that America, right. for all of its flaws, is a utopia, an anomaly in human history, That's surrounded right. by two oceans, filled with natural resources. That's it, right. It begs the existence of, is there a God? Because, like, this right. is what a God would do, is he'd put you in the best place, man. Right. If this land doesn't deserve to be protected by space-based fusion warheads from hell.
1: That's right. If That's you're right,
0: it's natural selection. If we if 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 this system grows a group of people who hates itself, then it's not the supreme system. A supreme no, system no. wouldn't defeat itself. But
1: We don't we don't have the system our founding fathers created, though. The Marxists have taken that from us. But we have vestiges of it, but, but we don't have the system we used to. But a
0: sufficiently evolved system would plug up the holes and not allow Marxism to fill it. And so
1: that's what we're gonna that's what I've been working on. That's, that's what, what I'm gonna do. I yeah. feel like
0: the Marxism is a it's an immune response. We got the jab from it, and we can either let it take over or we can build right. up antibodies to it. And
1: that's right.
0: I'd like to think we're building up Starlink. Kanye buying parlor. I'm not endorsing yeah. what Kanye said, but Kanye right. buying parlor, right. Elon buying Twitter, Trump and Truth Social. It does seem like it's not going down without a fight. There are some antibodies right. to Marxism being built. That's right. Um so yeah, I'm not giving up. Why would I?
1: Neither am I. There's Neither
0: no, am I. Can, can you imagine giving up? I'd rather be fucking dead.
1: What I a, I would be the last man standing. Last what a,
0: I'd rather take gardening shoes i can tell
1: you my wife wanted me to give up my yeah. wife you know because it's it's Never. not an easy path Never.
0: i'd rather and, take a machete uh, to my balls
1: you know it's no. just not not gonna happen they're, they're gonna have to kill me to stop me
0: i cannot which they might though they might oh no 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 <laughs> I've, I've people have said whenever i say like i'd rather be dead than fail or give up and people are like right. yeah and I'm like, we're heading down. in a
1: direction as a country where that might become suddenly acceptable.
0: And I'm not, I'm not a, yeah. I'm not unaware of that. And I yeah. have had to think over and over again of what I really believe, and it is what I believe. I'd rather yeah. be dead than march off a cliff with a bunch, a bunch of right. Marxist retard who right. Condone. Well,
1: just remember, you know, we're led by pigs, and pigs get slaughtered.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, look- slaughtered. I'm looking at a bunch of people who are putting children in front of. Uh, uh, drag queens right? like, like hey man right. I need to be religious or atheist or American or Egyptian or a man or a woman right. there are certain things you know that are right and they are wrong and a, right. and a grown man in a thong twerking in front of a two year old with a neon sign that says it's not going to lick itself I know right. where I stand
1: I know Right. I stand. very telling too this isn't going on in Dearborn where the majority population are devout Muslims this is going on in places where the twist none huge. of
0: us saw dearborn will save us yes yeah. <laughs> no, did you
1: see those protests yeah 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 they yeah, were pro- yeah. i mean i never me
0: doing this podcast with turbans on and being like I "Listen, mean, i it. never the thought <laughs> right.
1: That's right hey man right. american taliban <laughs> hey, <American, laughs> hey man
0: hey man <laughs> the melting pot of america might not have played its last hand yet we might no. be we,
1: we might, we yeah. might
0: be incorporating some radical Muslims in here, and we're like, huh, <laughs> defending traditional <laughs> traditional homes and the, the and the and the and the, the purity of children. We're, right.
1: <laughs> we're 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 bringing the the Orthodox Jews and the Islamists together to to fight the.
0: Yeah. The yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hey. Yeah. So
0: I'll, I'll be damned if you say we don't have what the founding fathers started. This is the fucking. Like, give, give me your yeah. Give me your hungry. Your your homeless. That's yeah. Right. Give me your devout Muslims. Like we're all in the same. <laughs> no kids in front of twerk and trannies. Like, That's right. Space. Damn it. That's just. That's right. That's right. Me and some mullah all sitting in front of Raytheon talking about how we need uh, X-ray howitzers in space. Like <laughs> I'm not giving up yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm not either we I, roll on
0: i needed that thank you thank you brandon that was a yes dope. sir i'll text all right um well books yes, are going to be out yes. in spring but i'll still you know I don't yeah I link anything well but. then
1: in spring i'll have two books out because my my third book will be out from encounter books which is a wonderful publisher Beautiful. um biohacked will be out and so i'll have hell two yeah. for the two out so hell
0: yeah um I think it is in the digital copy you sent me. I was going to make the the cover of the book the thumbnail. Um, is there? A yeah, go ahead. Yet? Okay.
1: No, I'll se- Yeah, I'll send you. I don't know. I don't know if I sent. Did I send you the cover? As I don't well?
0: know if it's in there.
1: I probably... If not, you can go on <laughs> okay. Amazon. You can go on Amazon and just type in the Shadow War. If not, I can also email it to you If you want, I think I have it.
0: Let me just let me just make sure. Real good. Let's see. Yeah, I got to cover it. Yeah, I got it. We're good. Okay. All right. It's
1: the black with the, with the yeah, writing. Yeah, the, different yeah, the shadow lines. work. It's the yeah. Iranian flag. It's the yeah. Iranian, yeah. Iranian flag. Green, white, yeah. and
0: then red. Yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah, that's
1: it. Okay, cool. All right, perfect. All right,
0: all right. All right. thanks, man. All right, man. It's been an awesome episode. Uh, got yes, all sir. Going yeah, and, uh, yeah. I needed, I needed that. All right, brother. All right. Thank you so much. Talk